Welcome to another episode of 699 per pound podcast where we usually talk about careers but we have shifted our focus to the very real impact of COVID-19 on Asians not only in this country but in the entire diaspora Dias, diaspora did I say that right Jojo I don't know you could fix me later in post yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> I did all right cool perfect perfect so um we are going to bring you perspectives uh of Asians and Asian Americans in different professions and places to give you a personal look at how this virus became more than a symptom of the body but it's everywhere man you know like you know rest in peace the prodigy of mob deep but like he said you know there's a war going on outside no man is safe from you know what i'm saying so i hope everybody is staying home if you can you know if you got a job and you gotta you know take care of your financial duties you know i'm not gonna fault you for that but yo if you're a shorty just want to go outside and smoke joints with your homies in the park or play five on five basketball Go the fuck home, B. The fuck you doing outside right now, man? Shit is real, man. But um, with that said, man, thank you to all the fans and listeners out there that continue to support us. Please subscribe to follow our future COVID-19 related episodes. Make sure you let your Zoom call know about 699, man. I know you're in those company meetings, man. Let them know about 699. You know, we the truth. And with that said, you could also cop JoJo and myself a $3 coffee now, virtually, social distant way. Um, on coffee.com slash 699 per pound and you could also make a monthly donation via anchor anchor.fm slash 699 per pound slash support google this shit if you can't find the url you know what i mean so with that said uh jojo do you want to introduce our very special guest today yes we'd love to okay so this episode we're talking to sam han a return guest the man the myth the legend um fun fact you guys he was on our podcast um a way long time ago but he's actually cited from our listeners um, most often as being their favorite episode this is I'm not being paid to say this this is totally true Uh, we totally did a survey and everything so I'm so excited to have him back just a refresher on who he is he's a senior lecturer in anthropology and sociology uh, department at the University of Western Australia in Perth Um, this is where he is at now but then he had a string of awesome um uh, gigs in the past which we can get into um, we are international right here at 699 per pound we're braving the 12 hour difference Sam is still in Australia we're still in New York the war zone as Jakey called it um, but we really rushed into starting this recording because so many gems were being dropped already as anytime anyone talks to Sam so let's just get into it welcome Sam Han to the podcast Yay! thanks Jojo thanks Jakey thanks for having me back yeah for sure man for sure how's everything over there how's everything Um, over there in australia right now you know relatively speaking uh okay (laughs) i mean it's pretty quiet you guys been through a little bit yeah just in the past few months (laughs) yeah for sure for sure but um you know all things are sort of um pointed towards new york right now and my heart is with new york um because I see so many things happening on the news and, um, I, you know, you feel a sense of uh, powerlessness, etc. So, yeah, my thought is my thoughts are with you guys. Yeah, For man, sure. I appreciate that, man. I mean, we 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 survive and, you know, we, we try to spend our days in the apartment and try to be fruitful as much as we can. Uh, but 
I mean, um, you know, Australia just I know you're based over there and then, you know, I hope you're not traveling any anywhere at the moment. Um, but you guys just kind of dealt with arguably one of the biggest national crises or the continental crisis because, you know, Australia is a continent as well, you know, like that, uh, that, that this whole chunk of land has ever experienced, you know what I mean? Like one of the biggest wildfires ever. Um, you know, what, what was it like when you was, um, experiencing that, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a rough summer. So it's still summer here technically, um, because we're the opposite of the Northern hemisphere. Right. So yeah, we're, we're coming off the, we're coming off, you know, an unprecedented, um, bushfire season, uh, which started way earlier than it usually does. And it lasted for ages. Um, and then obviously, um, this global pandemic, um, has hit as well. Um, again, as I was just saying, um, we're spared because we're fairly isolated and we don't have the density as other places do. But still, I mean, um, you know, there are massive sort of um, hot points when it comes to the pandemic uh, here in Australia, in particular in New South Wales, where Sydney is. So yeah, I mean, it's just one thing after another, one thing after another right now. But um, yeah, just like everywhere else in the world. I mean, I think I just read in the New York Times. Half the world is on lockdown. So, yeah, we are also on a, on a partial lockdown as well. Yeah. And I think the last episode we did, we actually interviewed a student, a grad student, who talked about his experience of, like, transitioning everything into virtually. But you're a professor, so you're kind right. of on the other side of that. Right? Yep, so definitely. have you been complete? Have you guys gone completely online and everything? And how has that been for you? Yeah, so maybe I can provide a little bit of context when answering that question. So um, the school, the academic year in Australia um, starts in February. So we almost mirror um, the school year, uh, the university school year that Korea and Japan have, um, where so the academic year starts at the top of the year. You know what I'm saying? Um, So our semester, our first semester starts in February and Why that's important is because by then we had already kind of um, been keeping tabs with what was happening in China. Um, I'm not sure if people uh, know this, but Australia's number three export, and it's called an export for reasons that kind of have to do with how economists have classified this, but the number three export in the entire country is higher education. So that means that um, the university sector generates a lot of revenue, and a lot of that revenue comes off the backs of international students and the majority of international students in Australian universities come from mainland China. So because of um, COVID-19, Australia had pretty early on imposed the travel restriction for inbound um, travelers from mainland China. So that meant that the universities already had to sort of do things um, in the in the where in cases where students cannot leave mainland China. So we had to do stuff online. So co- colleagues of mine had to kind of have stuff ready for um, students in mainland China who couldn't participate in person. So that had already been happening from the beginning of the school year. You know what I mean? Um, and by the time it ramped up um, and, you know, it was obviously just getting way serious, probably at the end of February, you know, we were getting hints. Um, hey, we got all these tutorials about how to use your learning management system, how to use Zoom, et cetera. But they weren't telling us we had to go to those workshops. They were like, hey, it might be useful for you to you know, do this. And then finally, when they were like, hey, y'all need to move everything online, um, we weren't prepared, but, but you know, sort of um, 
hints have been dropped early on. So yeah, within a matter of like, I would say three days, we had to move everything online, um, which in my case was okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. which in my case was okay because I had a little bit of an online element to my thing anyway. But, you know, you basically had to do a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> so it was wild. So, yeah. I mean, even if these students are, you know, are, is there, I mean, the huge time differences, if they're still in different regions or they're still, you know, not in <laughs> the same, um, you know, distance as you, it must be such a big transition for all of them. Yeah. So one of the things, one of the concerns with um, with not just teaching is, but is of yeah. course um, grading. Like, how do you mm-hmm. grade participation when you got yeah. folks who aren't in the same time zone? And maybe just as a example, um, I had quite a few students in my in my classes who were on exchange, so who were on study abroad from Canada. Um, I had like maybe five or six students from McGill University in Montreal. Mm. Um, and they all got recalled by their home governments. So when that happens, uh, um, they have to bounce, you know, immediately. One student yeah. was like, hey, so sorry. I've literally been traveling for 35 <laughs> hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so we were basically like, whoa, okay, that's wild. First of all, I hope you're okay. And then now we need to figure out how to like grade participation when they need to be logged in tw- 12 hours behind you know what i mean so like i'll give you an example i have a class that meets at 4 p.m my time that's 4 a.m montreal time you know what i mean so how can we even how can we even yeah how can they how can we expect them to kind of show up so Mm -hmm. so there's been a lot of kind of discussions internally within the university about you know how do we just kind of modify our grading schemes do we just kind of forget it like you know there's a lot of things there are a lot of things to consider beyond the simple technical things of like moving everything online but you know the larger questions about what's fair and also you know we can't just act like everything is normal we're like in a state of emergency so yeah all these things are sort of up in the air but we're all sort of trying our best yeah nah this 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 almost feels like a new world of order or something you know what i'm saying um so like yeah, like it's, you know, it, it, uh, you know, like the whole concept of transitioning things into online has always been uh, a new agenda, a new approach for every company, every institution. But because of just what happened with this particular pandemic, everything just kind of felt like it got expedited. You know what I mean? And um, do you feel, you know, as a, as a social scientist, like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm already, uh, I'm already, uh, I'm I'm already assuming that uh, there's so many conversations that are happening on how this is going to change uh, just societal behavior as a whole. Like, can you kind of share some of your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to gauge right now because everything seems to be sort of um, like the horizon is like something like six months. And that's very strange, I think, because I think most of us generally don't think of the future as simply six months, right? So for me, I don't know what the world is going to be like in six months. I don't even know because we don't know what the state of the, you know, the state of the pandemic is going to be like. We don't know what healthcare systems are going to be like. We don't know what universities are going to be like. So because of all that, it's so hard to sort of figure out for my own life what six months ahead is going to look like. Right. But right now we're all sort of, you know, people are talking about the new normal. I think we're not in a normal yet. You know what I mean? A new normal entails that we don't we're not, we don't comment on it. It's sort of 
ingrained. But right now, everything's sort of awkward. You know, everyone's sort of like, oh, yeah, I got to remember to, you know, make sure that when I go outside, I take these precautions, et cetera. Everyone's sort of trying to find their rhythm right now. So I feel like, you know, it's, it's a little bit too early to, to make, you know, prognostications about behavioral change and things like that. But you can see hints of it, you know what I mean? But again, we're in a state of sort of emergency right now. So I, I don't want to sort of say, hey, how people are acting right now is how people are gonna be acting after this is all over. Cause I actually have no idea when that's gonna be. Yeah. Well, one thing I was curious about um, was if you, when, when all these articles kind of come out about like different countries dealing with this pandemic differently, you know, why one country might have a faster spread than others, like does, does how does sociology come in in terms of that? Because I think maybe one thing I can think of is like um, in East Asian societies, like we would not necessarily shake hands or, you know, we might like bow to each other and like we kind of respect each other's space, you know, versus maybe other countries they may not. And, you know, in Italy, some people were saying because it's such a unit, like everyone is a family. Um, so, you know, maybe a lot more people are in the household, like living alone is not as common. Like were certain things like kind of triggering in your head of just like, hmm, maybe if I could connect the dots, this might be why. And has it been interesting uh, for you? And, and, and before Sam answered that, I mean, one of my theories and Sam, you could correct me if I'm wrong, is like, yo, mm-hmm. Italians love to fucking kiss whenever they say hello, man. <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, it's a beautiful thing. But, yeah. yo, like if they got this virus that is circulating, I don't know, like kissing on a cheek is really re- right manner to go about oh this you know what i'm saying like I, yo i got love for all the italians you know uh, you know what i mean but like uh you know like shit you know like that's just my theory though you know what i mean yeah but i, I mean there's so many things i mean uh, jk i can't i can't correct you because there's no way for me to know <laughs> yeah um, but i think just from a broader perspective um i think one of the things that we can consider is not necessarily um those kinds of factors, uh, because there's so many other factors that may override those factors. I'll give you an example. Um, when it comes to just pure density, um, that's a major issue. So we can't just look at population. Uh, America is what, over 350 million people. But as we know, the hotspots are dense urban areas, right? Right, um, right. And, and, and I think sometimes there's nothing, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter if people are shaking hands or bowing, um, that may have something to do with it. But on the other hand, you know, there are major kind of metropolitan areas in Asia that are extremely dense, um, that have not had the problem that New York has had as well, right? So there are many things. But for me, I can't, I, the only thing I could really judge is governmental response. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, Structural response. Frankly, yeah, exactly. Because... You know, quite honestly, um, you know, it's very difficult for me to say, well, you know, I'll give you an example like Jojo just brought up, you know, you know, that family, a lot of people living in the same space is an issue for a lot of Asia. You know what I mean? Right now, I'm worried. I'm concerned about India, you know, in terms of density. You know what I mean? So to me, it's it's about governmental response um, and also about how quickly people got out ahead of this thing. And I think one of the things that's sort of been circulating is that um, Asia was quicker to, to kind of respond. And that's, that may or may not be true. Um, I think one of the things that people don't realize is uh, many Asian nations have already had to go through MERS and SARS. So there was a sort of uh, 
preparation, right, that it occurred prior to. So when this happened, you can sort of roll out a plan that had already come into formation when people were dealing with SARS and MERS, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and it also has to do with, um, you know, like we're quickly finding out leadership, right? Um, mm. You know, if you look at the way in which um, uh, various countries' uh, leaders and heads of yeah. state have kind of... Um, responded to this mm -hmm. um it's not simply how quickly or how slowly you do it it's also about whether um, you're able to relay a sense of urgency without causing panic mm -hmm. um, and whether people um, are able to sort of um, uh, feel that the institution that you're steering is legitimate and that you know what you're doing these things are all sort of um disparate across all these different nations. So I think um, what, it, it's, a, it's an important thing to consider. It's, it's governmental response. I think there are obviously certain preconditions. Um, obviously, with the case of Italy, there's a Italy's a very kind of top-heavy population in terms of age. And mm -hmm. as we know, um, with anything like this that affects the lungs, the elderly are far more um, susceptible, A, but also uh, they're going to have a tougher time recovering, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's also a factor. Um, yeah. No, no, so these definitely. Things are all very complicated, right? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I like to point out the fact that you mentioned leadership because, um, you know, unlike the the president of the United States, like that was just kind of like bypassing this is just not something as relevant because I mean the news reports are now coming out that the first person who was reported to be infected, the timeline of. Uh, the first person that got infected what, was like South Korea and the U.S. was the same time. It all both happened in January. But mm -hmm. the way that, you know, the two countries reacted to this was completely different. And I'll give you another example. You know, when Merkel, you know, what I mean, the boss lady, the dawn of Europe, a.k.a. Germany, you know, what I mean, like when she came <laughs> through, she just straight up said, all right, y'all. 75% of y'all is going to get this shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you yeah. just yeah. said it, like, straight up and down. And the, the Germans, you know, just being Germans, they're like, okay, cool. Like, we get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we'll go mm -hmm. about our business. But, um, you know, there's, like, a sense of, um, I feel like, yeah, but that kind of goes on to your uh, other point that you said. There's, like, um, preconditions that exist in different societies. Um, but I think, you know, since you lived in Singapore, you lived in New York City, and now you live in Australia, um, all these countries have uh, had major, I mean, you know, New York or U.S. is obviously a Western dominant Western nation. But, you know, like Australia, Singapore obviously has huge European Western influences, but um, they're completely different countries. You know what I mean? And, you know, just for you to be living there where you have lived there and, you know, looking at New York from afar, like, how how would you compare and contrast the differences in terms of the governmental policy and then the way that the citizens are reacting to it and maybe even like the healthcare uh, uh, uh the system that kind of um provides the care for the for its citizens yeah no i think you know i'll start with australia because that's where i'm at right now um so i'm i live in perth which is a, which is the the capital of western australia western australia is the largest state in terms of land mass it's basically a third of the country um, but most of the population is um concentrated in and around the perth metropolitan area which is around two and a half million people um so obviously people know how big australia is but if a third of australia has one city where two and a half million people live in it and that's the majority of the population in the state obviously you have a, a difference in terms of density but beyond the kind of physical attributes i would say one of the most important things in terms of 
different differentiating uh, responses to the virus uh, here in Singapore and in the States, you have universal health care in Singapore and in Australia. That's number one. And that just that just allays the fear and the concern that people have about catching the virus. You know what I mean? Because if you get it, then you know you're not going to go bankrupt. You see what I mean? And that, I think, automatically builds a certain level of, I won't say trust, but a certain kind of luxury that um, I, I, I call it luxury because I'm still used to not having health insurance. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So it's like it's, it's, a, it's a sense of, okay, like this can get bad, but we're going to be taken care of in terms of our health and we're not going to get bankrupt as a result of getting sick. You know what I mean? Now, we may become bankrupt because our jobs are going to disappear because everyone has to stay at home, but that's a separate issue. You know what I mean? So what, what's, what's occurred in Australia is there's basically been – like in like in the states, it's a federalist system. So there are state governments, and then there's the, what's called the Commonwealth government, which is the national government, and they all meet basically to sort of craft a response to this. Some things are left to the states, but some things are federally mandated. And one of the things that I think has been very um, interesting here is that there's basically been a series of rollouts of both economic rollouts to deal with the um, the lockdown, you know, because there's major consequences to basically telling people to stay at home. But there's also been rollouts in terms of testing and also in terms of contact tracing and making sure that the healthcare systems are prepared. And that's sort of been communicated very, um, I would say, clearly. Um, and why that's important is because I remember maybe even a month ago, they started, what's, is it, wait, oh no, maybe a month and a half ago, um, mm -hmm. they started opening up what are called fever clinics around Perth. Um, so basically, they basically designated two hospitals where if people came uh, from abroad or they were in direct contact with someone who was known to have the virus, they can go and get tested, right? And then gradually, as this thing has spread, they've relaxed the restrictions on who can get tested, right? So just this week, they said, if you have a fever and you're having trouble breathing, you can walk into a clinic and get a test. You know what I mean? And the reason they did that was though, so that at early on, there wasn't an overflooding of the system. Right. Yeah. So yeah. then they gradually open it up so that you can actually do testing. I just read yesterday that there are some parts uh, of the United States where they've received samples, but there are 7000 that are waiting to get tested. Yeah, now, that's ridiculous. You see what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? Nah, well, so, 1000 percent, 1000 percent, man. Yeah. So then. People ahead, who are, yeah, yeah, no, like I just heard, you know, from accounts from like friends or friends who are like doctors and they're working these shifts. They're like the people in like the waiting areas and like the panic and the lack of resources. They're like, if you didn't have Corona before, you definitely have it now. <laughs> like right. so much right. for less than 10 people because these, they can't handle it at all. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so, I mean just to put the bow on Australia, you know, that, that sort of gradual approach has also been mirrored in uh, the rollout of kind of economic help. You know, there's been, you know, a series of kind of stimuli um, that the government has talked about. Now, they just talked about yesterday, there's basically going to be universal free health, uh, child care for uh, people, for, for kids uh, until June. Um, there's basically a, a stop on evictions. There's now going to be a tenancy sort of um, mediation program where commercial tenants are able to kind of work out with their landlords uh, and rework their leases. So th it's been a gradual approach. And again, that's because there hasn't been a huge spike. In fact, what's actually been sort of unusual is that in 
in Western Australia and WA, we we we've, we haven't had a, a, we had a, a spike like you see in all the graphs, right? And then now it's been sort of coming down, um, and that's sort of it's very encouraging. But then people are worried: oh, is there going to be a second spike? Um, so again, uh, you know, the kind of social distancing measures have also been gradual, right? So it's been sort of like, okay, um, these businesses can stay open. Nope, now these are closed. So, so they've been sort of gradually moving us away. Like, you know, for me personally, it was, okay, move everything online, but then you can still come into work if you need. And then more recently, they're like, if you can stay at home, don't come in. All the buildings are going to be locked unless you have card access. You know what I mean? So they've been sort of ramping it up gradually. Um, whereas obviously in a place like Singapore, um, they had cases very early on. They had a super spreading event at a hotel, um, I believe in January, right? So they had to do contact tracing immediately and they, 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 they were able to sort of, um, um, kind of stem it at, you know, kind of nip it at the bud. However, they've, they've just experienced the kind of resurgence of cases, um, probably because people have returned from abroad and Singapore is one of the most kind of like, um, uh, is a major thoroughfare, right? So anyone who's traveling to Asia, more than likely you're flying through Singapore, right? So what they basically now have to do is close schools. So I believe by next Tuesday, um, elementary schools, high schools, universities, they're all, um, uh, doing it from home. Right. And basically 80 or 90 percent of the workforce is working from home as well. Um, so they move very quickly um, because they figured, OK, we see a spike happening. We got to do it quickly. Um, whereas in the States, obviously, it's more complicated. It's a it's a much larger situation. I mean, listen, the population of Australia is something like 20 something million, upper 20s. The population of Singapore is five plus million. America is 350 million. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's obviously difficult. We also have, you know, Trump in office, all these things are sort of complicated and they make the responses sort of uneven. Um, but I think one of the, again, to me, the biggest issue is universal healthcare. When people Yo, don't so, have to, you know what I mean? When people don't have to worry nah, about that, there's less panic. No, nah, no. Nah, I think, I think the way that you phrased it, um, allay, allaying the fear, I think that's such a good way to put it. I mean, I, I've been an advocate of, um, universal healthcare for a long time. Because, you know, I, I work in a type of field where um, I, I either have to pay for my own shit or I just have to, like, under-report for me to get on Medicaid or something. You know what I'm saying? Yep, yep, so, like, yep. if you're, like, somewhere in the middle class, you're basically fucked in the ass. You know what I mean? With no protection. You know what I'm <laughs> oh saying? God. Like, yeah. it's just straight raw dog in the situation. You know what I mean? Like, oh um, but, I mean, I like to, I, I, but, I, but I like to ask this question, man, you know, because, um, you know, you're 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 uh, you're an esteemed professor who knows the history well. Like so Australia is a country made of British criminals, you know what I mean? Kind of like <laughs> how Outcast built America, you know what I mean? And they both speak English and um they're both like bastardization of the UK in a way, right? So what is it about Australia that allows for a universal healthcare system? I mean, even Canada, you know what I mean? Canada is just also like a bastard child of the UK, like when all these countries that are essentially former British colonies could figure shit out and create universal health care, what is it about the American system that doesn't allow this shit to happen? And I know you could go into the in-depth history about how, um, you know, capitalistic society, privatization, lobbyists and all that. But if you could just kind of give us a simple thought about that, if you can, you know, please let us know what's up. 
No, I think, J.K., the, the last point you made um, is the right one. It's not, it's not what's unusual about Australia or Canada or the U.K. or any of the kind of former members or the current members of the British Commonwealth. But I think what's wrong with America? Um, you know, you know there's, a, there's a phrase called American exceptionalism. And the idea is that America is special and special is supposed to mean superior. But I think we can think about American exceptionalism as exceptional as in completely inferior when it comes to a lot of things. Um, obviously, there are historical reasons and we can go into that. I think, number one, the most kind of uh, glaring thing to me is distrust. So one of the one of the you know, you mentioned Australia's history as being a, a penal colony. Um, no, you know, Australia is actually quite diverse now. Um, you know, if you look at the demographics, um, Jojo has been to Australia, so she can yeah. tell you it's not, so it's, not, it's, not yeah, <laughs> it's not what you would think. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's an urban rural divide, but you can make mm -hmm. that argument with America as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, so the point I would raise is uh, is trust in institutions. I think one of the things that's unique about America is politicians run for office saying that they're not politicians. Politicians want to uh, gain elected office uh, in Washington, D.C. by saying that they're not from D.C. The appeal of running for office in America is that you are not a politician. That is very unusual, um, just globally speaking. Although, actually, that's now changing with the rise of populism. But for the most part, most of the world wants people in office who they feel can do the job. Right. And there isn't a baked in distrust of government. I think what's unique about American political history is that somehow American political history reveals a distrust in government, government at all. Right. So not just big government, but people are afraid of government. They think government is the enemy. Whereas I think in places like Australia and in Canada, you can be critical of politicians. You know, we have the same thing here. Politicians are, you know, spineless, you know, they're stupid, mm -hmm. yada, yada, yeah. yada. But no one distrusts the institution, mm, right? Yeah. And no one thinks that the government's entire orientation is to victimize them. And I'm not, I can't say that's the case for Canada, but I'm pretty sure that that kind of unique distrust in government in the United States, right? Yeah. Is at the, is at root here because then it becomes very difficult to lead and it becomes very difficult to follow. Because mm -hmm. if I'm if I think that the government is not exactly on my side, why am I going to listen to them when they tell me to stay at home? Why yeah. gonna, why am I going to listen to them when they tell me not to panic? You yeah. know, when they got it under control. So I think that kind of institutional trust is the main difference here. Here, people again make fun of politicians, all that stuff, but there isn't a kind of skepticism about the entire structure of the government. It's not there. People actually look to the government for leadership and for help. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, really yeah. crazy because I think, you know, as Jakey mentioned before, like you guys went through the bushfires, which is crazy. And I know um, people were critical of the way the government handled that. Like, didn't the prime minister go to uh, Hawaii or something like during yeah, the Yeah, he, he was in Hawaii during this whole thing. And then he had to rush back because he knew yeah. it was a PR nightmare. Yeah. Um, but even amidst all that, like, I guess, like, it's so hard for, I guess, me to contextualize it because most of my life have been spent in the U.S. So I can't imagine, like, what it would be like in other places and to have that, um, you know, distrust seems so normal to us, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. And on top of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, sorry. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. You're about no, to finish no, no. your thought. Oh, no, no. Go ahead, Jakey. 
Nah, so I was like, I was just about to add on, like the the distrust is um mm. is just like is ingrained in the um the founding uh, amendments of this country, right? Like the first amendment says, like, yo, you got freedom of speech, yo, you get to say ah ah, ah whatever, go buck wild. <laughs> but the second amendment says, yo, just in case you could you could pack your own heat, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just in case shit goes down, you know who's doing the popping, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. it's pretty crazy. Like I mean, is is there like what what's the gun law and the and then you know what kind of freedom does Australians have compared to the U.S. If you could just like just so just so people could contextualize, because one other thing that I wanted we wanted to ask is you know what's happening with the state of Asian America right now, you know what I'm saying? And like you know the first time gun purchasers everywhere in the United States, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the OG LA K Town dudes are packing heat again you know because they think shit's about to go down like it was 19 like like it was in the early 90s when the riots happened you know what i mean so it's 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 uh, um you know i i'm curious to know is there like an anti-asian sentiment happening in australia um is there gun laws over there that allows people to pack heat you know what i'm saying you know like because there's obviously a lot of rural areas in australia as well you know like if you could just comment on that i'd be that'd be great yeah, I mean, just to talk about the gun law specifically, um, Australia is a kind of, I would say, uh, a shiny example of uh, the importance of gun reform. Um, Australia mm. used to have used to be a gun culture, uh, and then there was a major incident which occurred uh, decades ago, um, a mass shooting, which seems so mundane in in, in America such an everyday affair in America, um, that Australia basically kind of changed overnight and said, we can't, we can't live like this. So there are very strict gun laws here. Um, there was a major buyback program in the wake of that mass shooting. Um, so basically, yes, there are gun owners, but it's very difficult to, to own a gun. It has to be under lock and key. There are spot checks. Um, I believe there are either annual or biannual sort of renewals that you have to sort of pass. Um, it's very regulated and gun ownership is not very high in Australia uh, because it's so difficult to pass the regulations to, to mm-hmm. be a gun owner. And that mm-hmm. wasn't always the case. That changed. And that changed because of a, a very traumatic event. Um, obviously, that hasn't yet happened in America, even though um, the kind of trauma in America is quite, um, is much greater, I would say, when it comes to kind of mass shootings, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. thinking of Sandy Hook and among other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Vegas, but, Dayton, Ohio, yeah, Vegas, it just exactly, goes on yeah. and on and on. You yeah, know what I mean? I, yeah, I mentioned Sandy Hook because it's kids. You know what I'm saying? Word, um, word. But, yeah. but for me, see, that's the thing. Again, what we're talking about, and JK, you mentioned this, the kind of orientation of citizens towards their government about what freedoms can you... Pre- see, this is the funny thing. The whole idea of the right to bear arms begins with the notion of rights. Rights mm-hmm. are only rights because there's someone who can ensure those rights. Mm-hmm. And the person or the entity that can guarantee those rights is a state, is a government. So mm-hmm. the idea that you can be a gun owner and be against a government is, to me, funny, right? Because mm. the right to bear arms- It's oxymoronic almost. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's paradoxical in a way. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I would say in the States, you're right, there's a certain kind of ideology around freedom, which sometimes butts up against the idea of being a citizen. 
right? Because of course, being a citizen means that you are a member of a state. And what that means is that there are certain kinds of entitlements by birth that the state is going to guarantee for you. Now, for a lot of Americans, they don't want that, right? But for a lot of the rest of the world, they understand citizenship to be, I am a member of an entity Mm-hmm. That means that I have to give up something to get something. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm the saying? Social contract. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's that's not something that you often have to convince people is good or is legitimate. Right. Yeah. Um, especially in the Australian case. So, so to me, um, Australia's sort of notion of freedom. Yes, that exists, um, obviously. Um, but it's not the same as in the States. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. America is one of the few places that has the same kind of First Amendment freedom of speech kind of um, enshrinement um, because other countries regulate hate speech. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's this idea that, no, you shouldn't be able to say what you want because Mm -hmm. what you want may be offensive and Mm -hmm. not only offensive, but it may be hateful and Mm -hmm. it may, in fact, border criminality. So in Germany, um, if you are a Holocaust denier, that is against the law. Mm-hmm. I oh, find shit. that to be right. So I find that to be very um, reasonable, right? But from the American context, it's not. And I, I, I'm not trying to get into a debate about free speech here. I guess yeah. the free speech and also what Jake he mentioned, the Second Amendment as well. Those are indicators, or, or those are kind of interesting places to look at how people understand their position as citizens and their relationship to governments and what governments are supposed to do and what citizens are supposed to do during periods of crisis. Yeah. Well, what I really wanted to ask you about was that, you know, if we can tie all of this together is the concept of like civic duty, right? Um, You know, how, first of all, if you can, you know, define civic duty for us and how, with these different lenses, America, Australia, and you know some of the key countries, how that might uh, manifest differently. Because, you know, in New York, I'm getting a text every day that says, "New Yorkers, stay home, do your part." You know, and it's like as a, I think that's sending a message to me that my civic duty is to stay home, to isolate myself from other people. Um, you know, it's one thing to give me that message and it's another thing as, you know, citizens, like how we respond to that message. Um, maybe Americans would do it more defiantly than other countries. But could you get into that also in terms of, you know, the definition of um, maybe what it means to be a citizen, how it varies and all that jazz? Yeah, Jojo, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. It's mm-hmm. I mean, it stems back to the kind of classic notion of the social contract. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and of course, you know, um, it's, 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 it's abstract, right? Because we never sign these contracts. When we mm-hmm. become members of states, when we attain, you know, I was born in Korea, so I had to become nationalized and naturalized, mm-hmm. rather, mm-hmm. sorry. Um, and that, that's, that, there's a certain kind of oath we take. And those are all sort of secular rituals to enshrine our relationship to a government. Mm-hmm. But those are usually abstract ideas because yeah. the idea of civic duty for most people is sort of like, airy fairy it's sort of like a concept it's not really something you feel like we don't mm-hmm. wake up every day being like, being like oh i'm an american citizen you know what i'm yeah. saying yeah. You unless wake you up get thinking, jury duty <laughs> right and then you're, right exactly so i think what's uniquely um kind of complicated in the states is our attachment to something that's bigger than us is not necessarily to the federal government to the nation you don't mm-hmm. wake up thinking I am an American. You wake up thinking 
I am me. And then maybe if further down the line, you think of yourself maybe as a New Yorker. You see what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So for, yeah, same with me. Like I never thought like, oh yeah, I'm so proud to be American. Are you kidding? Like, no, but I'm very proud to be a New Yorker. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, in, in a sense, we have varying kinds of scales in terms yeah. of how we attach to something larger than us, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of collectivity may not be the nation because of course, nations in the, in the history of the world are very recent phenomena. Mm -hmm. um, there's a very famous book by the political anthropologist uh, Benedict Anderson, and I'm sure many of you read it during college, it's called mm -hmm. Imagined Communities. Mm -hmm. And nations are imagined communities. We have to mm -hmm. imagine that we're a part of it. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when he says imagined, he means that it, it's in our minds that it has to be constructed, but it, it's also about images. You see mm -hmm. what I mean? That mm -hmm. is to say that we have to see the nation for us to understand that we're a part of it. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, when we see the nation, we're, we're seeing Jared Kushner, we're seeing Trump, we're seeing Pence, and mm -hmm. those are not things that I personally feel like I'm a part of, or rather, I'm I'm not proud to be a part of. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that then has a has a has a has a knock-on effect, right? Because if that's supposed to be the thing I'm a part of, well, then there may not be legitimacy. That is to yeah. say, I don't feel that I need to listen to them because they obviously don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? So yeah. it's that to me, it's about the institutions and, and the relationship that those institutions and the trust and the credibility those institutions have. And it's not because Americans are more likely to do that, more likely to do this other thing. All nations are imagined and they work because institutions are able to convince its citizenry that they are doing the job of being nations or being states or being governments. If they can't do it, then of course people are going to not, not act right because they obviously see that they're nations are not doing the jobs that other nations are doing you know what mm -hmm. i mean yeah so I, you know like i'll give you an example in the australian context you know after the prime minister basically said yo don't don't gather in large groups there are a bunch of people on bondi beach hanging out and he was like mm -hmm. all right i gave you a chance now i'm gonna shut it down mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah. mm -hmm. and it's so interesting here they were like okay i'll give you a chance to act right on your own if you're not gonna do it i'm shutting it down the next day yeah. So it's not That's like Americans, parenting right there. <laughs> yeah. So it's so it's not like, you know, Americans are more like are, are, are going to listen to their governments less and Australians are going to listen to their governments more. It's more like, well, have these respective governments done the work of um, gaining legitimacy and, ha and and procuring credibility so that citizens follow. You know what I mean? I, th I think I think you said a very uh, solid point about procuring responsibility, because for me, universal health care is just a basic human right. And if that's not being provided, you know, if a basic human right for me to just survive is not, you know, offered to me and as a citizen, like what kind of fucking civic duty do I have that I owe for this society? You know what I mean? So I think that sentiment, if anything, like, it, you know, you kind of have a right to be hostile in this type of um, um, a social structure. You know what I'm saying? And um, yeah, I mean, may maybe, sorry to cut you off. Um, not at all, not at all. I f maybe hostility is one way of putting it, but even those who are not hostile may just be disaffected or disenchanted. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so it's yeah. not so hostility to me implies like yeah, I'm actively against the government, but to yeah. me disenchantment is like, man, like what am I gonna go off of? You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's how like how am I fatigue? That's right. It's fatigue. Well put. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we can also. I think this is a very timely topic. You know, we talk about the relationship between, you know, the government and the citizens, but also within the citizenry, there is a divide, right? Like we were just talking about Andrew Yang's op-ed, 
Um, And it it really kind of created a very divisive um, reaction from Asian Americans. Um, And I can, if you guys will let me, I'll like kind of say that quote that I think triggered it. Yeah. Um, So, um, so Andrew Yang was writing an op-ed for the Washington Post, you know, being in the context of- Which is owned by Jeff Bezos. Fuck Jeff Bezos. (laughs) No, but but go go on. No, no problem. Um, So uh, the headline of this is Andrew Yang, we Asian Americans are not the virus, but we can be part of the cure. And the the phrase that really triggered people was, um, this is Andrew Yang speaking, we Asian Americans need to embrace and show our Americanness in ways we have never before. We need to step up, help our neighbors, donate gear, vote, wear red, white and blue volunteer, fund aid organizations, and do everything in our power to accelerate the end of this crisis. We should show without a shadow of a doubt that we are Americans who will do our part for our country in this time of need. Demonstrate we are part of the solution. We are not the virus, but we can be part of the cure. So, a lot there. Yeah, Yeah, Uh, nah, for real, for real. It's like as if like, yo, the Chinese uncle that was cooking up with the wok, serving the community, (laughs) serving General Tao's chicken uh, to the hood for 20 years was not being an American. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you just, I mean, being an American is just like, yo, you come in here, you know what I mean? In a capitalistic society, try to create a future for yourself, send your kids to an expensive college, put a down payment on a house, pay the fucking mortgage for 30 years and then retire. You know what I mean? That's the American life that we all know. So what the fuck does he mean? You got to be more of an American. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, you know, that's just my take on it. <laughs> Thank you. Jackie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, those those comments are 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 they're rich, I guess, uh, is one way of putting it. Um, yeah. I mean, again, he's responding to this backlash that that is sort of global. Right. I mean, even in Australia, there hasn't been um, there haven't been reports of like physical violence, but there have been reports of social intimidation, et cetera. Um, but I must say, even the prime minister in his daily remarks, giving updates about the pandemic has basically insisted upon, um, you know, this is this that, that there's there's no room for that. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think that's a that's a stark contrast for, uh, you know, to, you know, the president of the United States, um, you know, crossing out his remarks to call it the Chinese virus um, and then doubling down on it, um, you know, when he speaks. And then when he tries to say, hey, you know, like we need to not blame Asian Americans, he refers to Asian Americans as they. Um, so, so this is, of course, kind of sparked by this kind of the concern about the backlash and and i don't i want to kind of uh, acknowledge that there is and um you know this isn't like made up um and andrew yang i can't i can't read his mind obviously he's sort of you know thinking that this is the best way of um helping the situation but i think he's um he's not he's not thinking through the implications of what he's saying because basically nah, for he's sure. asking for he's asking for us to perform Americanness without the acknowledgement that our very being is American. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Word. Yeah. And, Word. and that 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 to me um, is reflective of an idea of a racialized understanding of what it means to be American. You see what yeah, I mean? Yeah, man. So for, basically, for, for, motherfuckers tone deaf. You know what I'm saying? Like he's tone deaf, yeah, yo. I, no, no. But yes, he's tone deaf. But I actually think he believes this, and this might be tr- more troubling which is that I think for him, 
there are certain kinds of cultural performances that are part of being an American. And he's asking Asian Americans to sacrifice, to kind of give up their own sort of cultural identities to take on other cultural identities, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is the thing. Um, cultural minorities and racial minorities in America are always asked to um, just, you know, kind of dilute, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's for whom is the question, for whom? right? Whose fears are we allaying? Whose concerns are we worried about? Right? It's almost the most Asian thing for Andrew Yang to say, which is, please be worried about how other people see you. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, mm -hmm. it's not Asian. and I mean, Asian, quote unquote, Asian, you know what I mean? Stereotypically Asian. That to me is, is just troubling. Because yeah, he's, no, someone, for real. He's, 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 he's probably the most prominent Asian American in the public sphere right now. And for him to say something like that, um, is, is very strange. As if to say there aren't Asian American doctors, nurses, and other kind of healthcare workers on the front line across hospitals in the United States. I mean, that to me is completely, um, yeah, JK, as you said, tone deaf. Yeah, yeah man, it's 1000%. And on top of that, like, it's almost feels, I mean, you know, we could kind of go back, we, we could go into deep conversations about what his intentions are. And, you know, we, we can't, I don't want to be over here, like, you know, playing this guessing game, but um, you're right. Like, basically, our existence as who we are living in America is our way of performing our Americanness. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, me picking up the trash, me swiping the Metro card without, like, jumping over the turnstile. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. me making sure that, you know, like, I, I greet my neighbors. You know what I'm saying? Like, Paying I pay taxes. my taxes. Like, mm -hmm. that's exactly. me being American. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I don't have to fucking eat burgers or fucking go, you know what I mean, try to save people's lives and do all that. You know, I pay my taxes to do that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. me want to donate a few max to Elmhurst Hospital? That's because of my goodwill as an individual. That's not me performing my extra duties to be American. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, man, that's just, that's just my thought. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... I so, sorry, Jojo, go ahead. No, no, no. Um, I guess it really relates again to the civic duty part for me and that it feels like we're, again, being held to a higher standard. <laughs> you know, uh, we can't just get A's. We need to get an A plus, it feels like, you know, even just like affirmative action sometimes. It's like, oh, it's if you could be like the most perfect, you know, have the perfect report card, have perfect everything. But, you know, if your last name is Lee, Yang, blah, 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 you know, you're going to be held to another standard. And I just can't help but feel that this is happening again. Like we are always held to a different standard and the standard isn't decided by us yes i exactly i think that's exactly the point which is um he's basically saying yes there's a different standard for us and that's mm -hmm. fine and i think that's very troubling um it is joe it, it is yeah. just like um just like some of the black friends of mine saying like yo you gotta do double what you're able to yeah. do to please the white man you know or the white women you know what i'm saying like why who the, like, why the fuck do I got to do that shit? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, why listen, do I got to wear Izod and fucking try to talk like Hillary Clinton? You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Well, <laughs> For who? All, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what you got against Izod, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I, what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is, yes, that's it's one thing to say, like, yeah, that's how the world is. It's another thing to say, yes, and let's completely accept that. 
You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And that's yeah. sort of, you know, again, Yang's kind of positioning as a very prominent figure right now in America. And for him to be saying that at this moment, um, I'm not going to say disappointing because, like, I never really was a fan of Andrew Yang, but it's sort of bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, for real. And I think to give him a little bit, you know, benefit of the doubt, I think, you know, being in media and, you know, having studied journalism, like, this writer probably knew, you know, the things that he, the little sound bites that were going to be like the most controversial. I mean, it's an op-ed, so he wrote it, but it's like, you know, he wrote Yeah, it that's what Washington I was about Post. to say. It was like, it wasn't oh, yeah. an interview, like it was that's an op-ed. True, that's you know true. What I'm I know, that's true. But, you know, there, you know, the Washington Post has a certain demographic, right? Um, and it's going in, maybe his article would have translated differently if, if it was written on another publication that was predominantly Asian or predominantly black. Like, who knows? Um, mm-hmm. I kind of hoped Andrew would have had, you know, better media training now that he's a correspondent at CNN. Oh, um, he's, he's amazing. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's had great media training. You know what I'm saying? He's like but the most articulate when he's on the, <laughs> on the debate stage. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, but I think just... Uh, I feel like it happened enough times, you know, even just like our fellow uh, homie, you know, Kimmy Yam, who writes, you know, for NBC Asian America and have gotten backlashes from like, quote unquote, his Yang gang and like have talked about um, how he plays to the Asian American audience and everything like that. I would have thought that maybe he would have been more um, careful or just a little bit more empathetic. Um, Because I think when I read this, I at first I was like, is he addressing like my mom? (laughs) Not really me. Because I think the younger Asian Americans, I think kind of do most of these things that he's telling us to do, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and I'm just like, maybe was he not even addressing me? Was he addressing like my mom, for example, who definitely just kind of hangs with the Koreans or or just kind of isolates herself because she doesn't really uh, feel accepted, even though she, you know, was naturalized citizen she gave up her allegiance to like her motherland to be here rightfully so you know she d- still doesn't feel fully accepted you know and will not go to jury duty as long as she can and i wonder if he was addressing them because asian americans aren't a monolith right so i just can't help but feel like if he had a different you know person in his mind and was kind of not um acknowledging everybody else nah but i i, yeah. I get i get that point yeah no nah, go ahead go ahead sam go ahead no, no no i was gonna say i mean it, it's it's you know this conversation of what you guys were just talking about made me think that maybe it's not a bad thing that someone like andrew yang exists because i think it mm-hmm. does demonstrate um as you said jojo the the kind of non-monolithic quality of uh of asian american voices um mm-hmm. You know, when earlier when you said Andrew Yang's comments were divisive, I thought, man, I, I don't know if I've encountered anyone who thought what he had to say was great. Uh, it's almost <laughs> like he's the great unifier uh-huh. um, inadvertently. But but yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, listen, I mean, I think there's a um, that that is a that is a very sort of um, that is a perspective that, you know, ha- has precedent in other communities as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's a completely legitimate one. It's just one that I happen to completely disagree with, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and I think there's a, as you were, no, as you were noting, you know, this kind of, um, made me think of my dad who, you know, probably, um, skirted jury duty, <laughs> you know, like for 30 something years. Um, it, it's, 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 it's that, that's a question also of, um, you know, how we are supposed to understand, 
loyalty. Like this goes back to the citizenship question and, and duty. Um, you know, is it beyond the human imagination currently to think of people as being kind of bound to various entities? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we're living in an era where you can potentially have three passports. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So then, you know, what? It, it, then it becomes complicated because we don't know how we're supposed to kind of perform citizenship, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why for me, I think the the reason why I don't agree with Yang's comments is because it makes it seem like we have we have we have something more to prove because we're somehow responsible for the virus. Mm, yeah. You know mm. what I mean? And that, Not that to me real. is ridiculous. Like if for he real. said we have a duty because we're Americans, right, to do all these other things and that's it's like good it's like good of you to do that it's one thing but the, the what you just read jojo mm-hmm. the excerpt <laughs> made it seem like you know like it's it, it's it's we have an extra part to play yeah you know what i mean and i'm like what, why do we have an extra part to play yeah like mm, i wasn't uh-huh. chosen to be born this way <laughs> right 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 yeah so um speaking of andrew yang and about um this attribution of cause toward asian people um and especially the chinese people uh you know what are your what are your thoughts about that like it, you know it feels like it's kind of an ongoing thing in american history like whenever there's a problem it's not the prob it's not because of the community as a whole but it's usually like because of one particular minority group you know what i mean like so there's always like the chinese exclusion act you know there's um the you know like peril. yeah mm-hmm. the yellow peril and you know obviously this happens this has happened with other ethnic minority groups like they blame the jews for certain things they blame the blacks for certain things so on and so forth but it feels like cyclical that this happens every few decades is like all right cool it's the asians turn again we got to go after them this time with this shit you know what I mean? Like, what were your initial thoughts about that, Sam? Yeah, see, to me, it's, 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 it's weird because I view it as both, um, you know, that kind of yellow peril discourse, but also a very, very, very bizarre fascination with China. Um, and I think it, it, there are two sides of the same coin. Because um, on the one hand, you have a lot of reports being like, yeah, they're underreporting. They've been sort of not great about uh, being forthcoming with information, yada, yada, yada. That's probably true. And there's no doubt that, you know, um, China is a party state um, and, you know, it has a history of kind of um, massaging the numbers, um, you know, not having kind of full-blown investigations. Um, you know, when I when I spoke to you both last about my about my book, I, I explained that I wrote a chapter on Ai Weiwei and the artist Ai Weiwei. And one of the projects that I kind of um, spearheaded was um, the Citizens Investigation Project about uh, an earthquake in Sichuan that resulted in the death of many school children because of poorly built schools. And he basically was jailed for trying to figure out what the actual number of deaths were. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I don't want to acknowledge. I, I want to acknowledge that you know. There is some kind of foul stuff that has happened. But what's interesting about not just American media, but Western media is this, which is, oh, see, China is responsible for this. But wow, look at their response. You know what I mean? So it's I mean, the New York Times, this is all the time. And, and, and when I said it's the same, it's the same. It's two sides of the same coin. It's the Orientalist coin, which is, oh, wow, look at them. They're so they're, they're so sort of backwards, quote unquote, that they created this. 
but then they're so authoritarian that they can sort of like, you know, stem this tide. You know what I mean? And I'm sure you all saw the coverage of um, all these huge bulldozers that somehow were mobilized by the military in Hubei and creating like hospitals overnight, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've seen those time lapses, yeah. Yep, exactly. And you can see, um, you know, the the coverage of Asian countries like Korea, Singapore, and Taiwan um, have been sort of mixed with this like fascination of how quickly their responses were, but then also sort of like, yeah, but we can't do that in Europe and North America because, you know, we have democracy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I think that that to me is funny. It's funny because it's basically at once, ooh, I wish we could do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I wish we could just basically say, everyone stay home. I don't care what's happening. We could just lock it all down quickly. Um, That sort of mobilization is, again, a source of kind of like envy, but Mm -hmm. also a source of like disdain. And that to me is classic. It's classic Orientalism. It's not exactly hatred. It's actually fascination. Yeah, for sure. And you know, so, yeah. 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 It, it does seem kind of weird. Like, who are we also to kind of judge the way they do things? You know, I think um, it's interesting, too, because when I talk to my mom, she is very proud that like, oh, my gosh, everyone's praising South Korea for how we handled the virus. <laughs> and it's like the it, it, in, inversely of you know how uh, western media views you know um eastern way of doing things i think the east still kind of begrudgingly enjoys praise or acknowledgement from the west um even if you know they might say they don't care or it doesn't matter or they're doing such a bad job like they secretly love it when you know their pride is being stroked a little bit of just like oh yeah yeah you should do it the way like we do that's a great point i think it's it's definitely flunkyism man it's flunkyism, man. Koreans love flunkyism, man. You know what I'm saying? Dude, like, they, they, they love to be like, validated by America. You know what I'm saying? Yo, let, and it's, let, it's, exactly. it's sad as true. You know what I'm saying? It's the yo, truth. I'm, I'm, I'm glad y'all brought this up because it's, it's so cheap. You know what I'm saying? It's cheap. It's cheap because it, it, you're not, you're, you should be proud of saving lives. You know what I'm saying? And the fact that you then sort of be like, you know, and Australia has done the same thing. Yesterday, the chief medical officer of the entire country basically said Australia has done more testing per capita than any other country. Like, who cares? You know what I'm saying? Like, what has that got to do with anything? You know, I mean, it, in some ways, it's the demonstration that the state is doing its job. But I think on the other hand, it's also about this sort of like pissing contest about who's better. You know, and this is like, this is not exactly a time to be like, you know, keeping a scoreboard about who's better at this, you know. But again, that's part of it. It's part of that kind of almost colonial mindset of, yeah, uh, you know, those people um, have praised us. So we need to, you know, the global stage thing. I mean, I hate to bring this up randomly, but it's like the parasite situation as well. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you (laughs) know, like, yeah, okay, great. But like, it's a little bit too much, you know, it's like anytime, cause let's be, let's be, let's keep it all the way a hundred. You know what I mean? Like if we keep it, if we keep it funky, a lot of the art house directors in Korea had more cachet outside of Korea because they were big on the festival circuit at home. It's, they, they're not that hot. You know what I mean? In terms of box office. And that's all that, you know, that, and if that's, 
and, and if that's any indication, it's almost like you need to make it big outside to make it back inside. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Nah, it's for me, real. Like it's it demonstrates a twisted sort of um, value system. You know what I'm saying? It's like it, it, I, I think it. I think it's very ups- not upsetting. Upsetting is too hard. But I feel like it's cheap. You know, it's cheap. Yeah, it, it's cheap. It's cheap. But then again, like you know, we you know South Korea. It's, it's, it's a country that essentially has had tremendous influence by the United States as a nation, as a modern nation. You know what I'm saying? Just, yeah, you know, for sure, for sure. So I think I think it's almost inevitable. But then again, you know, this whole sense of flunkyism, it really annoys me because it's just like, yo, just be cool with who you are. But then again, this country is in like the middle of fucking China, Japan, North Korea, Russia and the u.s you know what i'm saying so they're like they're like in this fucking you know they're like they're 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 basically getting their ass kicked in all angles right now you know um but i don't know jakey i would push back on that mm, why, why would nah, you say that because because think about it i mean the relationship that america has had with korea has inevitably um created investment for i mean not you know for korea to be a global player i mean how often do you think about Nigeria. Mm. Nigeria That's a has good point. one of the largest deposits of natural gas in the world. You mm. see what I'm saying? And we are Word. still living in a fossil world, right? A fossil fuel world, right? So, so to me, Korea has benefited as well. You know, so it's it's not as easy as oh, well, you know, because there's a narrative, there's a historical narrative of Korea overcoming all these sort of historical um, hurdles, and I, and that's inevitably true but if we keep it all the way 100 you know there are many nations across the world that would love to swap positions with korea oh yeah yeah 1000 you know percent. I mean? 100 so then to me, it's like let's keep it in perspective you know what i mean like you know there's a lot to be proud of but there but there are many sort of um factors that go into success you know what i mean yeah Ge- geopolitics weighs heavily on this now, one thousand percent. I mean, listen, man. You know, having a dirt poor country from going, like making no money to fucking becoming one of the most, uh, you know, like wealthy affluent nations in the OECD nations within yeah. sixty, fifty, now nah, maybe even fifty, fifty-five years, less than sixty yeah. years. That's incredible. You know what I mean? Nah, but for real, they definitely has benefited uh, from major American support. You know what I mean? Even our cuisine, man. You know, we love pudetchige. That shit is essentially <laughs> just leftover meat from the U.S. Uh, army yeah, bases, see, man. I'm we made the, some. I'm one of, uh, maybe, maybe I'm weird, but I, I always thought pudetchige was not that great. But anyway. What? Word, word, <laughs> word, 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 word. It's so said. salty. It's so salty. Yeah, it is. It is. It is, man. But um. But with all that said, though, man, like, you know, there's just so much uh, that's going on in this world right now. And um, luckily or unluckily, um, we're all social distancing. We're like in our house, in our homes, just just fucking going about Passing our days. You know what I'm saying? And um, I think the, and these are some great times for us to, you know, catch up on some Kumon, do the knowledge, read some books. And, um, you know, we know that you're one of the most well-read you know, individuals that have ever graced our podcast. Um, is there, are there like some books for, uh, that you could recommend for us so we can understand this situation that's happening, not only on, on a surface level, 
like literally about the virus. I mean, shit, like I, I'm fucking reading news reports about the virus every day, but I kind of want to contextualize in the bigger picture. I mean, you mentioned a very great uh, uh, book, uh, Imagination, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, I think that's, that's, a, uh, that's a good place to start. But are there other um, books that you would want to recommend for us to uh, check out? Yeah, there. I mean, there's so many. Um, but um, just in terms of um, like that's very specific to this sort of context, um, I would say the first the first thing that comes to mind is there was a there was a sociologist named Eric Kleinenberg who wrote an op-ed for the New York Times. Uh, about the importance of maintaining social solidarity in times of social distancing. Um, Kleinenberg um, is someone who wrote a lot about sort of new ways of living. And his kind of first big project was, I believe, on the heat wave in Chicago in the 90s. And I think, um, I forget the name of that book, but Kleinenberg is a, is a good kind of um, Eric Kleinenberg. Yeah, so Kleinenberg's an interesting one just because I think he he asserts the importance of keeping connected while we're apart. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's very important. Um, just in terms of other books to kind of figure out like the current situation, um, it, you know, there's a, there, there's, there's a lot, but I would say I hesitate to give this suggestion because it might be sort of scary, but, um, uh, Michelle Foucault has a book called discipline and punish. Um, and it's about, Kind of imprisonment and, and incarceration, but he has a large kind of chunk of it that deals with um, the bubonic plague <laughs> um, mm. and how people were forced to stay home and the sort of the mechanisms that states sort of enact in order to keep track of people um, and, and um, sort of, you know, um, maintain people's um, sort of separation from one another, but also kind of keep account of them. Um, it, it, it may give you, uh, it, it may sort of, um, I don't know, have a, have a negative effect on the reader. Um, but I think that might be an interesting one as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are the two that come to mind. Um, but you know, quite honestly, like I haven't had a chance to do any sort of reading or Kumon cause I've been so busy moving all my classes online. Um, and I, and, and could I, I want to say this, I feel like you shouldn't feel bad if you don't develop new hobbies or skills or read more like this is not normal <laughs> you know what i'm saying and we should all sort of cut ourselves some slack and and also i feel like if you are an employer and you have employees like this is not normal you know what i mean and i think one of the things about working from home is that you actually work a lot more um and you have less kind of separation psychologically. So I think, um, you know, if anything, people just need to like be okay with like not doing stuff as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm so glad you said that, Sam, because I've been going stir crazy and, and feeling like I'm not productive enough. I'm constantly thinking like, oh my gosh, am I going to gain that, you know, quarantine 15? Um, but I think there's been several people that I love who've pulled me out of that to say you are being productive by staying home. Like you're helping by staying home, like just as a baseline, acknowledging that because it is it is really crazy, especially for extroverts, especially for people who, um, you know, operate in a way where they want to take a break with people um, in, in the, you know, less than 500 square feet apartment in New York City it drives you nuts. Yeah. So everyone just like 
pat themselves on the back. Like, this is not normal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not mm. normal at all. Mm, it's okay, y'all. It's okay for you. But um, <laughs> just, yo, just don't drunk. Just don't be um watching porn all day and just play uh, uh oh Animal God. Crossing all day, man. Just go outside a little bit. Social distance yourself while you're going outside. You know what I mean? Maybe do a few push-ups in between your porn and Animal Crossing sections. Oh my God. Sessions. But uh, with that said, though, man, I'm gonna just run down the list of uh, uh um, you know, intellectual. Uh, uh, you know, public, you know, the, the, the books that you've recommended, you know, Eric, um, Klanenberg, uh, social yep. solidarity, you know what I'm saying? And, um, surprisingly, he actually, um, um, actually had a book called going solo. What a coincidence. You know what I'm saying? Like he made a, he wrote yeah. a book called going solo. And, uh, he also wrote a, a book with Aziz Ansari even, you know, that's, yeah, that's I'm pretty sure interesting. He's, I'm, not sure he's, I'm sure he's not happy that that comes up on Google though. Mm, mm, mm. Nah, for for sure, for sure. Um, and on top of that, um, you know, he uh, uh, the uh, book um, "Discipline and Punish." You know what I'm saying. And last but not least, uh, uh, "Imagination" by Benedict Anderson. You know what I mean. Imagine so, um, communities. Imagine communities. Imagine communities by Benedict Anderson. You know what I'm saying. So um, these are all like uh, probably a little heavy, heavier topics than just reading your Harry Potter novels, but. Uh, you know, it's some good books for you, you know, some uh, some uh, brain food for y'all. So I think uh, um, we definitely should check them out, right? Awesome. Well, thank you cool. so much, Sam, for joining us. Um, you already answered our two personal questions. Um, you famously cited a book as your significant other. That was a first and the last. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and just for people who have just um, been enlightened to your presence, where can people find you and connect with you? Um, I, I, all my socials are private, but you can find <laughs> links to all of them uh, awesome. on my website, which is sam-han.org. Um, and on the upper right-hand corner, all I have links to my socials. I mean, I just sift through that they're not bots or like, you know, people who I don't want following yeah. me. So yeah. yeah. Or another way, you know, what are some of your books or your projects, articles? Yeah. So, um, thanks. Thanks for letting me join that. <laughs> I'm your PR person. Uh, I'm like, thank you. I'm 1, percent. Yo, so FYI, I, yeah, Sam, but... FYI, Sam actually wrote a lot of books himself. You know what I mean? I'm surprised yes. that he did a plug, plug one in himself, but, uh, you know, <laughs> nah, that's just humble. That, that's just humble. Plug. He is, you know what I'm saying? No, no, no. But the, yes. Uh, I don't know about humble, maybe more shame. Um, yeah. So my, my most recent project is called interfacing death, life and global uncertainty. And I think there's a lot there that actually has to do with what we're talking about, um, just in terms of how often we're seeing death. Obviously, it was written in a pre-pandemic sort of world, but I think, yeah, it's about the way that we are viewing death and how often we see death and how that kind of changes our approach to death. Um, so yeah, it's called Interfacing Death, uh, Life and Global Uncertainty uh, from Routledge, uh, and that came out earlier this year. Yeah, awesome. man, make sure you check Available that out. Available on the, Amazon and everywhere else, yeah. Yes. Available on Amazon and everywhere else. I mean, the cover looks like a 90s uh, Jamiroquai album cover almost. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it kind of has that, I like, took that photo, actually, JK. I appreciate yeah, you coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, nah, hey. for sure, for sure. It, yeah. it definitely has like that uh, 90s UK garage uh, album cover vibe a little bit. I mean, Jamiroquai is different from that, but you, you get the vibes, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but with that said, though, man, Sam, is always, always a pleasure speaking with you, man. You always drop so many gems. Um, for us to really think about and you really contextualize uh, everything that I feel like we think about, 
but it's hard for us to communicate in a uh, in a concise and a very um, logical manner. You know what I'm saying? So we appreciate you for always joining us to share your insight. And, um, you know, we hope you stay safe over there, man, in Australia. We hope all your students and your loved ones are good. Mm-hmm. Um, nah, but, you know, really appreciate you, brother. Thank you hey, so thank much. you. Thank you to 699 per pound. Y'all stay safe, stay well. And um, yeah, just keep, 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 keep it moving. Nah, for sure. Definitely, man. I hope, I hope next time you come back to New York, everything is, um, you know, it's, it's in a, we're, we're probably going to be living in a different world. You know what I'm saying? We're probably not going to be giving each other daps, but just shoulder bumps. But, uh, you know, much love to that. And hopefully that they come soon. So with that said, man, all the listeners out there, we thank y'all for um, tuning in. But yo, I want to give a very special shout out to our producer, man, Michael Ken Stewart. Within the past three weeks, yo, this motherfucker got me and JoJo recording an episode every day. You know what I'm saying? You know, like, it's like, yo, like this shit is like a full-time job right now, man. Like, yo, like, yo, for real. Like we, we've been recording a new episode pretty much every day. And uh, Michael kept us working, and he's been pre-interviewing all our guests and just really putting in the work, man. So much love to him, man. You know, I want to give him, you know what I'm saying? Ladies, he ain't single, but he look good, so follow him on the gram. You know what I'm saying? Um, You remember, everybody, y'all can listen to us on all major streaming platforms. That's Spotify, Apple, Anchor. You know, tell a friend to tell a friend. Each one, teach one. Most importantly, rate and share this podcast with your entire Zoom network. You know what I'm saying? Um, and follow us at 6.99 per pound on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter for the latest. Don't forget, you can support us now monetarily by buying me and JoJo a coffee, a $3 coffee at that, on coffee.com slash 6.99 per pound. We're setting up a monthly donation at anchor.fm, 6.99 per pound slash support. If you don't know how to spell the URL, motherfucker, just Google it, man. Google you know what it. I mean? Don't hit us up with the details, man. Just Google that <laughs> shit. All right? Peace, peace, peace. Hey yo, it's 6.99 per pound. Podcast.